0: Planting churches is not for those that are afraid of hard work. We just already had a little bit about hard work before. Let me take you back uh, to a regular day in uh, our household, Anne and I's household. Uh, I'm going to take you back to the 1980s. (coughs) Just feels like yesterday for us, but yeah. Yeah. so here we are, okay? Imagine. Anne and I, we're in our uh, early 30s, okay? Uh, living in the middle of a notorious council estate in Newcastle. Having, yes, let's have another hoop for Newcastle. Any, any other Newcastle people want to go, yes, <coughs> okay? Um, having just gotten our six uh, children to bed, aged between four and 10, um, Cleared up, uh, hosted a small group, worked a full day as a busy social worker. Um, It was time for that wonderful part of the day. Well, evening, night, sleep, (laughs) snooze, snooze, snooze. Imagine. Suddenly, we were both wide awake. What was it? Was it the local vandals smashing up our car again? (laughs) No, not this time. (laughs) But it was my bleeper. What? Say some of you, particularly those under the age of 30. uh, What is a bleeper, Matthew? Let me explain. A a bleeper, see see picture, uh, is a kind of pre- mobile device, okay, uh, before mobiles, okay, remember what was before mobiles, bleepers and landlines, okay, so you could ring this bleeper from a landline and it kind of gave a rather shrill, annoying beeping noise, okay, um, and that's enough to wake you up, notifying that you needed to kind of ring bass at that point, so. Imagine, 45 minutes later, I'd be standing in some police station. No, I hadn't got into trouble with the law. Uh, I would have been standing in some police station or maybe a hospital um, trying to sort out some runaway teenager or a domestic uh, abuse victim at 2.30 in the morning. Hopefully, I was going to be back in bed by four. With knowing that I needed to get to work for 9 a.m. in the morning, Why was I doing this, you might say? Well, I'll tell you. Partly because (laughs) social work was so poorly paid that I had to do two kind of jobs uh, to actually make up the money. But also because we were planting a church in this notorious council estate. And we didn't want to be a burden on the other people there. Um, And so we were working our socks off to actually uh, provide for our family and for others uh, and to see this church planted. And you might say, well, why are you telling me that story? Because that is what uh, this next section of uh, 1 Thessalonians and chapter 2 is all about. And I'm going to be dealing with it in various verses as we kind of go through, Okay, rather than just reading the whole passage in one go. So here we go. Verse nine, for you recall, brethren, our labour and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devotely, devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. I'm going to give you um, five... Knots out of this passage, okay. Five things that Paul is saying don't be like this, be like this, okay. And this is the first one don't be afraid of hard work, don't be afraid of hard work. He says a very similar thing in uh, Second Thessalonians. I'm going to read that. He sort of expands a little bit more. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone else's bread without paying for it. But with labour and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have a right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. But even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Sometimes I think we can preach, uh, a, a, and we love the gospel of grace, but people misunderstand it sometimes. Um, and um, that somehow this wonderful gospel of grace doesn't cost anything. Yeah, a sort of casualness creeps in that, to all intents and purposes, can actually look a bit like laziness. <laughs> and in fact, Paul's saying no, no, the opposite's the case. Paul and his fellow workers were working their socks off, <laughs> night and day, so that the believers or unbelievers could receive the word free of charge. Don't ever say that the gospel costs nothing. For Christ, it cost him everything. Yeah? Paul is also making the point that he demonstrated hard work as an example to the other believers so that they could follow suit. For me, it was social work. For others, it might be nursing or teachers or shift workers. Or maybe you work in an office. I know for many of us here, we're working long hours, multiple shifts to get by in this quite expensive city. Reading the commentaries about this passage, um, one of the things that I learned was that Paul's kind of tent making business, that's what he was doing. He was making uh, a kind of tent making or leather working uh, and, um, you know, where did he get this from? And it, There's many that would say, well, yeah, know, it, it came from his parents. So he's actually his parents did this and he basically learned how to do this from them. And um, that actually we know that Paul was a Roman citizen. And well, perhaps one of the reasons that he was a Roman citizen was because his parents had actually provided tents uh, and leather work for the Roman army at uh, Cilicia. Okay, so that's actually, they would have kind of passed on this kind of, you know, you can be a Roman citizen. So it was a kind of way of, um, a bit like if you did something and kind of the queen, you know, bought from your shop. You know, there would be that kind of conferred, you'd be able to put that on the front there. You know, uh, royalties being here, you know. Um, uh, To any passerby, they would have seen him working away in the market, uh, actually doing that work and doing that thing in order to see this infant church well-founded and not a burden on them. So what does this mean for us? Let's embrace hard work. As soldiers of Christ, being diligent to utilise every moment and not just trying to get away with the least we possibly can. Yeah. God gives us grace to excel, to lead full lives, to earn money so that we can provide for our families and at the same time, be radically generous towards other people. Yeah? Number two, not people-pleasers, okay? Um, Not only is Paul accused of being, uh, by his critics, of peddling the gospel for personal profit, but flattering his hearers. And he was very emphatic that, no, no, I'm not a people-pleaser. Verse three. For our exhortation doesn't come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with the pretext of greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted, our authority. It can be a real temptation to dilute what God is saying in order for it to be slightly better received, in order for you to be slightly more liked. You know, I, I'll, I'll miss that kind of awkward bit out. But actually, the thing is, is that the message. And this is not, it's not just true for us that are preaching here, but each of us in the church, as you're sharing with your colleagues at work and your friends and your rallies. It's not our message. We can't kind of change it according to what we want it to say. We, we don't have freedom to mess about with it. Okay. We can't just alter it to make it more digestible. God's word is God's word. He says, now that's it. And I want you to preach that. And I want you to preach that well. And that's what I'm going to hold you accountable for. That's what I'm going to hold you accountable for. And we're there. We're saying, well, we we need to expound what is actually God has given us. It's God who's been doing it for us. It's not just us to kind of pick out of it. Oh, I like that bit. Well, I'll leave that bit. I'll keep that bit. Yeah, it's not like that. It's not a sort of smorgasbord that we can just pick and choose. It's actually we've got to preach the whole gospel. And we do try and do that here. Trying to preach the whole gospel. Hence, we're going through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We're trying to preach every part of it right through. We're not just picking and choosing. We're going right through. So that you're seeing everything. And you're preaching everything that actually was being... That that Paul would have preached in that way. And and others preach. Anne and I have been enjoying... um, the interior, you might say, why do we watch this? The interior design masters, okay? I don't expect many of you to be watching this, but we actually really enjoy it, okay? It's just finished. I won't, if you haven't seen the end, I won't kind of ruin it for anybody to tell you who won, but uh, it's the kind of, you have judges that are uh, looking, what are they looking for? They're looking for personal flair. The ability for the contestant to listen to the brief and yet bring their own expression to play, and i've got to say at times it can be pretty way out, okay um, <laughs> at others it's quite pleasingly refreshing and uh, <laughs> I want to say that in sharing our faith and teaching what the Bible says, we actually have to allow ourselves to be constrained by what God is saying and as I kind of think about this and the metaphor that I'm bringing to you so they so in this program you have these kind of young designers who are trying to win the competition but also you have these other workers that are there and are kind of say so what do you want me to do and these kind of so they each have kind of these these kind of DIY workers that come and they put up the stuff and they're kind of doing the work. They say, yeah, no, 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 a little bit along there and I want that green and I want, you know, like you see on the picture, I want those kind of lines drawn like that. And so other people are doing that for them. And as I kind of think about it, I actually think, you know, God is the designer here. (laughs) God is the designer. He's saying, now this is how I want, this is how I want the church to be. This is how I want your lives to be. It's not for you to mess about. I'm telling you, this is how I want it. And we are like the guy with a little drill. I say, how do you want it? Do you want the line there or do you want it there? No, I want it there. And we're looking at what Scripture's saying and we're following what he's saying. He is a very creative God. He's got lots of color, lots of kind of creativity in him. But we're kind of looking at his creativity and coming out of what he's saying, not just kind of making it up. Yeah? Yeah. So we are not people pleasers, we are God pleasers. And we want that well done, good and faithful servant. You've done what I gave you to do and what I laid down clearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very important. Third point, we're not demanding our rights. Paul, <laughs> Paul is saying, you know what, We, we as apostles we could have asserted our authority. We could have played, look, hang on guys, we're here sent from God to plant churches, okay? And, you know, actually, uh, we want to be put up in this hotel. Uh, We'd like, this is kind of like, I'll I'll give you the menu of what we kind of rather like to eat here. You know, uh, we've got, no, 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 miss out the um, asparagus, you know, we don't like that, but, you know, and and you could, they they could be like that, but they're not. (laughs) In Timothy, Paul says something different. He says, says, "Don't muzzle the ox." So he's not saying that actually the labourer isn't worthy of his hire, and that actually there's a time where those that are preaching the gospel uh, should be paid. So he's saying that. I want to make that point. But what he's saying here is that he's saying we we could have demanded our rights, but we haven't. We've actually chosen to work hard. And to be working, you know, full time kind of doing this and then extra kind of like, so doing the tent making business and then zipping over here and teaching over there and then back to the tent making. Yeah. So he's kind of doing both things. And I want to say at the beginning, particularly in the early days, the beginning of a church plant. Um, it's very much like that. Obviously, it was for um, Anne and I when we started in Newcastle. It was very much like that for a number of years, uh, doing that, uh, as I've explained. Uh, Dave Hill over in West Lothian, working as a teacher uh, as, of physics and then also trying to help see that church planted. Dan, when he first came here, was kind of working away uh, you know, in a secular job, um, seeing wind farms kind of built and stuff like that, yeah, uh, around the countryside. You know, there's that time where that's the case. Um, I think this passage is one of the best uh, leadership training manuals that we have. uh, And it applies to leadership everywhere. Whether you today are a small group leader, and I'm hoping at the end of this that we're going to help pray with some of you guys as well. Uh, Whether you're heading up a, a ministry team, whether you're an elder or an apostle, we don't demand obedience. It's one. We don't demand obedience. It's one. We don't say, Listen to me. You've got to follow me. We, we, we win it by our example. Uh, Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain. Same point. But with eagerness. Not, yes, lording it over those allotted to your charge, but. Proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Yeah? We win people by living lives that are full of love and care for them. People follow because they know they are safe with us, that we will look after them. We will cherish them and not fleece them. Yeah? That's what Paul's saying. Fourth point. Not harsh. Most times I find that people um, get offended, not because of what we say, but how we say it. It's all in the delivery. I think many people would have thought, you know, if I was to ask you, you know, what kind of person do you think Paul was? And they say, oh, he's a no-nonsense sort of guy, kind of happening guy, kind of church planting, task-oriented, maybe less sensitive to pastoral needs. And yet here we see something quite different. Here we see that his delivery was very gentle. And it's interesting, and I I, I think I probably noticed it for the first time as I was looking at this passage this week. He says, he doesn't say we hope we came across as gentle. But he says, we proved to be gentle among you. Verse seven, we <laughs> proved to be gentle among you. So it's, he's saying, no, no, we, remember, we were gentle. You know you, you know, you can testify to this. He's being slandered by some meddling stirrers in opposition to him, accusing his ministries purely for selfish gain, flattering them, deceitful. But he reminds the church of how he really was towards them. I've got a proven record of being gentle and of care. I was involved. I was personable. For us, it sets a tone for all of us. How we teach, how we make disciples, how we bring correction. May we never be a church that um, reverts to brusqueness and judgmentalism and being exasperated when we make mistakes and people make mistakes or people are a bit slow to catch on something. There's a gentleness in God and there's a gentleness in delivery. Let Let me, no, no, you haven't quite got that. Let me say it again. I know it's the third time. Let me say it again let me let me try and bring that through The nursing mother, which is the example that Paul gives us, steers the infant towards the mother 's breast, even though maybe he or she's kind of nuzzling and trying to kind of get some milk out of her elbow. She steers this child no 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 you you've latched onto the wrong thing there you know, here. Here's the breast, yeah. This is what you. This is what you're looking for, dear. You know, and it's a there's a gentleness in it. There's a steering in it, and we're we're steering people towards Christ. Not impatient, not self-seeking, not dishonouring, not easily angered. And then, and then finally, Paul changes the metaphor and he starts talking about fathers. Verse eleven. Just as you know, we were. Exhorting and encouraging and employing each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He uses these three verbs, exhortation, encouraging and imploring. I've got to say, as a dad of six, I well remember. uh, And any dads here uh, where your children are kind of grown up a little bit, you will know exactly the same thing. Here it goes. Okay, Exhortation. Um, it's a good thing to put time aside to prepare for your up-and-coming exams. Exhorting. Okay? Encouraging. Uh can I encourage you to maybe not play with your computer until you've done maybe an hour's worth of revision for chemistry this evening? <laughs> Imploring. <laughs> Please, can I appeal to you to go and revise for your exam right now for tomorrow morning, otherwise you will regret it later on. (laughs) So we know those things. We know what that's like, okay? And Paul's kind of using those three verbs to talk about how to uh, disciple people in Christ. This is something that's, again, it's for each one of us. It's not just, oh, well, it's the leader's responsibility. You know, many of you will have heard me say this before. It's all of our responsibility. We're all responsible for each other. We're all in this together. We're all saying we want to get to that place where we've run the race well, well done. And we're responsible for each other in this process. Don't get distracted by this or that, but prioritize Christ. That's what we're trying to encourage people into. And we're using, we're taking the tenderness of a mom and the persistent, dogged consistency of the role that certainly the father had when in Paul's day to see this through. Now the final point is the final knot I've got is not aloof. Not aloof. Paul's proven care for the church came out of a deep affection for them. Verse 8. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because we because you had become very dear to us. It's quite emotional stuff, isn't it? Very dear. Right? Gosh, that's quite... Soft. Here's Paul, most well-known for his prolific church planting, background as a persecutor of the church, and yet he has this personal care, this fond affection. He was living amongst them. Yeah, They knew what he was like. He wasn't separate, living in that fancy hotel or something. He was like living right there. They knew what he was like. They saw him working down a market. We see the same with Jesus, don't we? Um, never too busy to stop and engage with the blind man here or the woman with a menstrual problem there. The father that's just stressed about his fitting son over here. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson about God. God is never a non-participant in what he does. He does not delegate. He does not manage from an impersonal position. He does not separate himself from his community by ranks of angel secretaries, (laughs) though through whom we have to arrange an audience. Okay? Isn't that amazing? It isn't like, oh, yeah, yeah, you need to go and speak to so-and-so. It's like, no, no, come to me. Come to me. I'm involved. It's like personal. Everything's personal. Everything's him. As the church gets bigger... there 's always that kind of danger we, 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 we wanted to see it running smoothly don 't we? We want to see different hearts, uh, different teams kind of caring. But I think we need to take seriously paul 's plea here to keep it personable, yeah to always be able to say of every part, every small group, every student team, every practical team. I've got a fond affection for you. Hmm? Isn't that a good thing to be able to say? I've got a fond affection for you. If we can't say that, there's something slightly wrong with us, isn't there? I've got a fond affection for you. And team, you're very dear to me. 18 years ago, I applied to this church with 12 others. I've got to say, I might not always remember all your names. That's not because I don't care, it's just I'm getting older. (laughs) But I can tell you this, you guys are very dear to me. I pray for you. It really hurts when I hear of people, as I did this week, who kind of drifted off, stopped following Christ, lost fellowship. I want to say, this is a battle we're all in together. We're fighting the fight to stay faithful to the end. Not to be taken out by the enemy. We need each other to accomplish this. We need genuine heart connection. We need to have formed deep friendships that allow us to really share what's going on. There's no room for superficiality. You'll never be able to tell anyone that you aren't doing well or that that <sighs> i've got this pain and sorrow that's going on for me right now if you have this kind of strange kind of super spiritual kind of view that i declaring weakness is somehow a, a lack of trust or faith in god you know we've got to be real there's got to be there's got to be real vulnerability and really deep friendships formed because that is Fighting the enemy. The enemy comes when there's superficiality. And he can pick us off. So you've got deep things going on. And you don't share. I want to say. It's important that we're able to share. Yeah. Because that we're in this together. We're fighting the enemy together. We're coming to the end. We're fighting. We want to be there. Standing there. I want to leave you with. Not five knots, but some positives. What are we doing? We're building deep, genuine relationships. We are exhorting and encouraging and imploring each other to run well, but in an attitude of gentleness. We are living lives to please God. We're winning people by our godly, caring behavior, and we're working darn hard at it. Yeah?